I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but in our lives, there are all times, every one of us goes through it where we're powerless to do something, right? There, there's some kind of situation in our life we're just powerless to overcome. So it's too big for us, you know? And I don't know about you, I hate feeling powerless. I hate that feeling of kind of helplessness and powerlessness. Um, sometimes I'll say things that I'm powerless to get myself out of. Have you ever been in that situation? You just say something you never should have said. Years ago, I was at a funeral, and I went up to the person that I knew, whose loved one had passed away, and I was about to leave, and I just said to them, I said, um, I, I got to take off now. You know, I'm so sorry for all that has happened. And, and my friend said to me, thank you so much for coming. My response, I could have said anything. My response was, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for having me. That's what I said back. I might as well have said, hey, this was such a great time. I can't wait until another one of your loved ones dies so we can do this again, you know? So stupid, completely powerless to get myself out of that. She just laughed, and I walked out feeling like an idiot, you know? The only thing worse than saying something dumb that you're powerless to get yourself out of is when you do something and you seem really powerless. Now, guys in the room, we never want to look powerless, right? Especially in front of our women. We always kind of want to look tough and fierce and powerful, right? So last year, I had to go to the eye doctor. And so they sat me down, and they put me in front of what looked like a death contraption, and said that they were going to put it right up against my face, all right? And I was supposed to lean my chin on this little kind of bar in the front. And they said this to me. They said, and I'm quoting, you're going to feel a little puff of air, okay? <laughs> so I'm waiting for the little puff of air. I got my chin on the little contraption. And I'm waiting and waiting. No puff of air is coming. And I'm thinking to myself, I am so manly. I didn't even feel the little puff of air. That's what I'm thinking, right? Then all of a sudden, the actual puff of air came, and it someone, felt like someone was blowing a leaf blower in my eye, okay? So I'm sitting here like this. Kelly's sitting to my side, and I've got my face down on the bar, right? As soon as that little puff hit me, I went, ah! And I, like, jump back like this, right? I look at my wife, and she says, honey, you are still macho. No, she was hysterically laughing at me, as were all the nurses in the area. And I know they gather together to watch the security footage of that once in a while. Let's watch that wimpy bald man scream in horror at the little puff of air, right? I hate feeling powerless. Yet the truth is, is we all have things in our lives that we're powerless to accomplish. And some of us in the room are real about that. You know what I mean? Like we are okay to ask for help. We're okay to admit the weakness or to say, hey, I'm really powerless in this way or that way. Others of us though, right? Other, others of us here in the room today, we are putting on this whole front that we've still got everything together. And you know what? That front even is up with God. God, I don't need you. I'm okay. I got this. I still am in control, right? Uh, here's a picture that will kind of illustrate what I'm talking about today. See, look at, look at this guy. He looks kind of strong until you look at the mirror and you can see maybe he's pushing his arm flab up from the backside to try to look like he's strong, right? And this is some of us here in the room today. Some of us have embraced that we need some help, but others of us are pushing our arm flab up, so to speak, saying, no, I got this. I'm okay. God, I don't need you. I don't need anybody's help. I'm in control, right? But today we have to just come around the truth that there are things we are just simply powerless to accomplish in our lives. Let me just give you some examples of what some of these are. We are powerless to heal, right? We're powerless to heal. Um, some of us, it's our bodies. Some of you walked in today, you need someone to heal you. You've gone to doctors, you've done all you know to do, and you're powerless to make that thing right. Some of you guys, it's not a physical thing, it's in your heart. Something broke in your heart, and you need 
someone to heal you and you've done all you know to do. You've, you've tried every, every avenue that you have and yet still there's brokenness in your heart that you're powerless to heal. Another example is we're powerless to raise dead things back to life. Now that sounds a little creepy at first, right? But obviously when we die, we're powerless to raise ourselves back to life. But also think about this. There are things in our lives that are dead that we're powerless to raise right here and now. Some of you walked in the room today and you know your marriage is dead and you don't know how to bring it back to life. Some of you guys walked in this morning and you're kind of beat down because you once had a vision for your life and you felt like God maybe had put some things in your heart to do. And now you're realizing, oh my gosh, that never came true and I don't ever see a hope for that thing coming true. See, there's certain things in our lives, even here and now, we just can't raise back from the dead. Another example is this. We are powerless to know what's going to happen before it happens. Therefore, we have a difficult time finding leading for our lives. We're very limited in how well we can lead ourselves forward, right? We don't have much power in that because we don't know the future, right? Trying to make decisions. I don't know what to do, right? Um, If I don't know the future and I don't know what's going to happen in a year from now, like where do I live? Who do I marry? What school do I go to? Do I retire now? Do I invest in that stock? Do I change jobs now? So many things. We are just powerless to know. Another example, we're powerless to save ourselves, right? We're powerless to save ourselves. I can't work my way to God because there's sin in my life, right? I'm powerless to make that sin go away. I'm powerless to deal with that myself. Now, some of you might say, but I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I think I've got this one. I think that the good outweighs the bad. But do you know what the Bible tells us about our good? The Bible says it this way. The Bible says that our righteousness or our rightness before God is like filthy rags, like in comparison to him. See, that's what we do. We compare ourselves to someone. We all know someone worse than us, right? We go, well, he or she can't be saved, but I think I'm better than that, so I think I can work my way to God. But in comparison, the comparison isn't with our neighbor. The comparison is us to God. He's the standard in this, right? So just think about it this way. I I love to watch baseball, and our family baseball is on all the time, okay? And there are many times where my team will be playing, and a great player will be up to bat, you know, and he'll strike out. And what do I yell at the screen? You stink. And then someone in my family will remind me, Doug, compared to you, though, He's actually really great, right? So I'm yelling at Cespedes, you stink, man. Well, Cespedes compared to anybody is pretty good. But let's take the worst hitter in the MLB and compare him to me. Filthy rags. I got filthy rags next to him. See, yesterday I was coaching Landon's little eight-year-old baseball league, and I was Cespedes. <laughs> I could hit the ball a mile in these kids' eyes because comparing myself to a little eight-year-old. But get me compared to a major league player, even the worst one, and I'm filthy rags in comparison. And that's what we have to realize with God, that when I'm comparing myself to him, filthy rags, I cannot save myself. Next example, last one I'll give you, is we're powerless, powerless to refresh our souls. Sometimes our souls get worn down, right? Sometimes our souls get beat up. Sometimes there's that place in us, and we've like thrown money at it, we've thrown uh, success at it, we've thrown entertainment at it, we've thrown all kinds of stuff at it, and our soul is still dry. There's still something missing in there, and it's impossible for you and I to refresh our souls. And so today, as we've discovered that we can't heal, we can't raise, we can't lead, we can't save, and we can't refresh, we're powerless to do all those things, I want to just talk about how God's power meets us in our powerlessness. 
I want to talk about how God is maybe the answer to all those issues in our lives. See, today I want to kind of look at a few things I want to call power applications. Okay, And a power application is simply this. Here's how I mean this. It's when God's power meets our powerlessness and makes all the difference. It's when God's power applies to our broken situation, whatever you might have here today. And so we're just going to celebrate some of this, and I think we can find the answers that we're looking for today in the Easter story as we celebrate this today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. We love you're in a room today. You don't believe like us. You don't think like us. You disagree with this or that. That's okay. We're so glad that you're here. And as we kind of work through this today, I just hope that maybe you'll find some of the reason we believe that Jesus can be trusted. Some of the reason that we can look at the power of God and say, man, I think this could make all the difference in my life. We're a bunch of people who have experienced it, and we're a bunch of people who aren't just like, believing blindly. We're, we're looking at evidence, and we're going to see some of the evidence for the resurrection today, but we're also going to see how God's power applies to our powerlessness. And so we're going to look in Acts chapter 3, and what we got going on here is Peter and John were these two followers of Jesus, and they were following Jesus all around, and they had seen Jesus do great things, and they were eyewitnesses of all Jesus did. And one day, they're walking past a lame man who had been born unable to walk. And this man was sitting by a gate, and he was begging, and he was asking them for money. And here we see Peter and John do something really powerful, and then it's like Peter goes into an Easter message, basically. And so check out what happens in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. After this man begs for money, it says this, Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, now just think, imagine you're seeing this, right? Imagine you're there. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man is healed, and no one can believe it. Just think about it. Imagine you and I went down to the Smith Haven Mall right up the street, right? And every time we walked in there, there was a man who had no ability to walk who was begging. And imagine one day you're like in the middle of the food court and all of a sudden this guy's running through the food court healed. He's like bouncing over to Cinnabon, polishing that thing off, right? Auntie Anne's going to Cheesecake Factory. Night. That's what I do if I got my ability to walk. It shows me where my, where my priorities are. But, but here is this guy just healed and everyone's amazed and a crowd gathers and look at what Peter does in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. Peter's going, I just want you to know, it wasn't me who healed this, this man. Peter, Peter's basically admitting, I'm powerless, but I know someone really powerful. Verse 13, he says this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. We'll skip down to verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Power application number one. Some of us walked in broken. Some of us walked in with broken bodies or broken hearts. Power application number one. Jesus has the power to heal. I want you to see that here this morning. Jesus has the power to heal. This is huge because some of us need healing. My wife over the last three months has been through basically hell on earth. And by God's grace, she was here at the nine o'clock service the first time she's able to, been able to be here since January. And 
She's been through so much. We've been to several hospitals. We've been into the city. We've seen cardiologists, neurologists, uh, rheumatologists, endocrinologists, generalists. We've seen everybody we know to see. And at the end of the day, we need God to heal my wife. She needs God to touch her. And I'm so thankful that Jesus has the power to heal. What do you need Jesus to heal today? Maybe it's on the inside. Maybe it's on the outside. But Jesus has the power to heal. Now I have to just remind you that that God isn't a genie, right? It's not like you grab a Bible off the shelf in the lobby and rub the side of it and he pops out and goes, oh, three wishes? Well, like, what do you want, right? And so God doesn't always do what we want exactly when we want it. So Kelly and I have been praying for three months now. Please heal her. Let this be the day. Let this be the day. And God in his wisdom and understanding, and even though he has the ability to heal, he knows, okay, but this is what I'm up to. And I can tell you some things God's already done through this difficult season in our lives. And so he sees that bigger picture. But I'm so thankful that at the end of the day, Jesus has the power to heal. And so if you've come in here today, you have a God that you can approach that wants to heal. Then Peter goes on, verse 13. He says, you handed him over to be killed. He's talking about Jesus. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Well, what's all this about? Well, Peter's basically looking at the people that are gathered there saying, hey, you guys put Jesus on the cross, right? He's saying, okay, you handed him over to Pilate. Pilate was a ruler in that day. Now, Pilate didn't want to crucify Jesus. He wanted to try to get Jesus off the hook. And so in, there, in that day, there was a custom. Right around the time of Passover, what would happen is they'd bring a criminal and they would release him. And so Jesus comes up. Pilate says, Jesus, come here. Brings him up. And then he brings, Pilate brings this man named Barabbas on the other side. He says, okay, now you guys choose. Barabbas was a murderer. Jesus was the son of God, holy and pure and innocent. And so Pilate thinks, I've got this all figured out. They're going to choose Jesus. They're going to get, say, give us Jesus and, and crucify Barabbas. But instead that day the crowd said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So it goes on here. Peter says, you killed the author of life. I mean, think about that. Peter's being very bold. He's saying, the creation killed the creator. And some of us might look at that and say, why would they do that? Why would they choose a murderer over Jesus? But we just have to slow down and realize that we are in that crowd too. In fact, every time I sin, my sin cries out, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Every single time, my pride or my anger, whatever comes out of me, every time I sin, I remember, okay, wait, 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 okay, I would have been in that crowd yelling too. I would have misunderstood the situation. I would have allowed them to crucify the Son of God. Then it says this, but God, this is Easter, but God raised him from the dead. Power application number two. Jesus has the power to raise the dead back to life. So what does this mean for us? Well, first off, Jesus was raised back from the dead. So he died, right? He was crucified. He was put on a cross and he died in our place. And then God raised him back to life. So that's our hope. Jesus didn't come back to life. We're not here today, right? We're not celebrating Easter. We're not celebrating Christianity. It means nothing. But Jesus wasn't just killed. He was also raised back to life. And the thing that matters for you and I today is that when we have a relationship with him, when we die, he'll raise us as well too. But can we just talk about the here and now for a minute? Can we just remember that Jesus also raises those dead things in our lives back to life? I've seen God raise dead marriages back to life. In fact, there's some of you sitting here today he's done that for. 
I've seen God give that vision back, that dead vision for a life, for purpose. I've seen God give that back. Jesus raises the dead back to life even here and now. I'm actually believing and trusting that God's going to raise some dead hair follicles back to life soon. I'm going to walk on the stage looking like Thor one day. We'll all have seen a miracle. But I'm telling you, Jesus raises the dead back to life. What do you need him to raise back to life? What in your life right now do you need to say, God, this is hopeless apart from you. I am powerless to bring this thing back from the dead. Would you do this? Now, the next four or five words are so important. Look what Peter says next. He just talked about Jesus being dead and raised back to life. Then he says this, we are witnesses of this. Those words are so important. Do you know why they're so important? Because Peter doesn't believe Jesus is alive because his pastor told him. Peter believes Jesus is alive because he saw it with his eyes. After Jesus rose back from the dead, he made Peter and the rest of the disciples breakfast one day on a beach. He hung out with them several times. Thomas, the doubter, right? I would have been Thomas, by the way. But Thomas, the doubter, said, I'm not going to believe in Jesus until I put my hands in the nail holes. And Jesus goes, Thomas, here I am, bro. Go for it, right? And so here is Peter saying, I'm an eyewitness. Now, Peter would give us the greatest proof that he really saw Jesus back from the dead later in his life. Because you know what happened to Peter one day? They came up to Peter. They said, Peter, if you keep saying Jesus is alive, we're going to put you on a cross just like we put Jesus on a cross. And you know what Peter didn't say? He didn't say, oh, about all that stuff, I made that up. You know what Peter didn't say? Oh, I could tell you where his body is to prove I made that up. Don't put me on the cross. Now, you know what Peter said? Peter said, you can put me on the cross, but make sure you put me upside down because I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same way Jesus was. If Jesus hadn't come back from the dead, if Peter hadn't seen him with his own eyes, he never would have died saying Jesus was alive. But that's exactly what he did. That's a really important piece of evidence. Now we're going to look at verses uh, 17 and 18 and then jump down into 22. And I just need you to hang with me. Some confusing verses, but we're going to work through it, okay? Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Verse 22. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. Now, what do all these verses mean? That seemed like a lot, didn't it? What does it all mean? Here's what it means. It means that God can see what's going to happen before it happens. All this was saying that 1,500 years before Jesus came and died for you and me, God was saying someone was going to come and die for you and me. This is God saying, okay, I just want you to know that this can be trusted that Jesus is alive. This can be trusted because the prophet said this is exactly what was going to happen. And you know what else it means for you and me? It means that God knows what's going to happen before it happens, so therefore he can lead you. Power application number five. Let's check it out. Or I'm sorry, three. I'm jumping ahead here. Jesus has the power to lead us. That's great news because I don't know about you. I need leading. As I'm trying to figure this stuff out with my wife, like, how do we get her treated? How do, we, how do we get her better? How do we help her? I have no idea. I don't know where to go and what to do. I don't know what's next. I don't know where to take her. But man, I'm seeking God. God, lead us. God, heal her. If you choose to use doctors, awesome. But, but lead us to those doctors. God, show up. 
right? We're trying to actually sell this building. We're pretty packed in here today. We've, we have actually a ton of people parked down behind Taco Bell at the nursing home, so you guys could all fit in here. We need a new space. And we're talking with different realtors and lawyers, and we're going back and forth, and we don't know where we're going yet. We want to stay in this area, but you know what? We're going, God, lead us and provide for us. Show us. You see what next year is going to look like. You know, God, the building we're going to have Easter in next year. How exciting is that? I don't know that. And so I need God to lead me. What do you need God to lead you in? Do you marry this person? Do you not? Do you, how do you raise your kids? God, show me how to raise my kids well. How, how, how do I transition into this new job well, God? Do I even transition? Do I retire this season of my life or that season? God, help me, lead me. We have a God who has the power to know what's going to happen before it happens. And so he can be trusted to lead us. So then... Peter says, okay, so here's what happened to Jesus. The prophets foretold it. We, we've seen so far that, that Jesus can heal. We've seen that he can raise the dead. We've seen that he can lead us. And then Peter says this. Here's how we respond. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. What do we do now? Jesus is alive. There's eyewitnesses. There are prophets that told us this was coming. What do we do now? We turn from our sin and we turn to God and Our sins are wiped out. Power application number four, Jesus has the power to save. I don't have the power to save. Remember what we saw earlier, right? I mean, if I'm up at bat against any major league pitcher, I won't even see the pitch, right? I won't even see that pitch come by, right? If I'm up against Cindergaard, or for all you Yankee fans, I'll say the word in church, Yankee fans, um, Arnaldus Champman, if I'm up there again, I have no hope, right? Or if I'm trying to pitch next to him, you know, hey, Arnaldus, Come here, man. Watch how good I can pitch. Filthy rags. Filthy rags. No ability, right? But me compared to God, even worse. Even less ability. Even less power, right? I need someone to save me. I need someone to help me by wiping away my sin. I love that that verse says that. That our sins will be wiped out. That's what God wants to do for you and me. You ever cleaned a really dirty window and you kind of like halfway got it cleaned? You almost like spread the dirt around a little bit more than you did clean it? That's sometimes, I think, what we think Jesus has done for us. Kind of like, he cleaned me up a little bit. No, he wiped your sin out. It's gone. That's what Jesus did for you on the cross. When I was a college student, there was a guy in my life that I really looked up to, an older guy, and he'd been a mentor to me in different ways. And this one day, I did something behind his back that really hurt him. I'm like deep, deeply, deeply wounded, this guy. And I thought he didn't know about it, but someone came up to me that was close to him and said, you know, he knows what you did and he's really hurt. And I just broke, man. I was so broken. I just began to cry right there. And I, I went out and I found this guy and he was in his car. He was about to pull out of our church parking lot. I went over to him and he saw my face and he saw there were tears in my eyes and he opened the door, and he, he came out with a golf club, and he began to just beat me. No, I'm kidding. He didn't. He didn't do that. That was a strange turn on that story, right? <laughs> didn't see that one coming in church, right? No, no. He came out. He hugged me, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, never bring this up again. I forgive you, and it's done. What did he do? He wiped away my sin against him. I didn't deserve it, but that's what he did. That's what Jesus has done for you. He has wiped out your sin. You know that thing that you always think about and beat yourself up about? You know that thing that your spouse or your friend's been telling you? Let it go. 
Yeah, you did the wrong thing, but now let it go. Yet, see, Jesus wiped that thing away. You know what's crazy? When you have a relationship with God, God the Father looks at you as if you are as pure and holy as Jesus himself. That's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. That's why Easter is such a big deal. That's why it's not just about candy and Easter bunnies. Because a Savior freed us and we were powerless to do that ourselves. Jesus has the power to save. And then we're just going to look at one little last part of this. Jesus has the power to save. And look at what Peter says. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. Remember before we looked at the fact that we can't refresh ourselves? We can't refresh that place in our soul that's all dried up and weary? Power application number five. Last one. Jesus has the power to refresh us. Man, I need that. I need that refreshing in my life every day. Because life is hard. And sometimes my soul feels dry. Sometimes my soul or my heart feels doubt, full of doubt. Sometimes it, it feels a little bit angry at God, if I'm honest, right? God, why haven't you done this yet? Why haven't you shown up yet? Why aren't you moving? God, why aren't you healing my wife? And my soul daily needs that refreshing from God. And stuff doesn't fill that hole. And, and status and success doesn't fill that need. And relationships, while they're great and a blessing, doesn't. And entertainment only numbs you out for so long. And all that stuff we turn to just simply isn't the answer. It can't refresh us. It at best distracts us. But Jesus says, no, I want to refresh your soul. How does your soul need to be refreshed today? What do you have going on inside that you need God to bring more than just distraction to, but actually make right. Because that's what Jesus wants to do for you and for me. So here's what I hope you're seeing today. I hope you're seeing that in our powerlessness, we meet a great Savior. Here's what I want you to see. Check out the screens with me. Jesus has the power to heal, raise, lead, save, and refresh us. That's what we saw today. Which is funny because in the beginning of the message, I talked about how we can't do any of that ourselves how we do not have the power to do any of those things in our lives. And there's something important we have to think about for a second. We've probably all met that really powerful person who was incredibly unloving, and we know the train wreck that that is, right? You ever met that really cocky, proud, powerful boss who makes everyone's life miserable? See, power isn't all we need. Hitler was powerful. We need someone who's powerful and loving. And the amazing thing we find in Jesus is the power to do all those things and the definition of love itself being Jesus himself. And so you and I, we get to approach a Savior who loves us and is powerful enough to heal and to raise and to lead and to save and to refresh us. You know what's interesting is as I look at that list of things, these five things I can't do, if all Jesus had done is save me from my sin and will one day raise me when I die, that would be enough to prove to me that he loves me. I was talking with my kids the other day and I said, guys, what's going on with mommy is so hard. And, and we believe that God's gonna touch mommy and, and everything's gonna be okay. But you know what? If all Jesus ever did was die for us and raise back from the dead and remove our sin, if all he ever did was that and, and will one day bring us to be with him in heaven, then isn't that already all the proof that we need that Jesus loves us? But we still get the heal, and we still get the lead, and we still get the refresh too, because that's the amazing God that we have. 
And like I said earlier, God's not a genie, so it doesn't always go the exact way we think it's going to go and sometimes even hope it's going to go. But he always does what's good for us. And so how do we respond to this, right? Well, do you need healing? Bring that to God. Don't be that guy in the picture trying to make it look like you got everything together, like you can still flex. And in the meanwhile, you're just kind of propping yourself up. Don't be that guy. No, you need to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need healing. God, would you physically heal me? God, I know you could heal me. Just touch me in a minute. Like that man that Peter and John prayed for, healing could come like that. God, if you choose to use doctors for some reason, then do that. I almost wonder if maybe one of the reasons Kelly isn't well yet is because we've gotten to tell so many different doctors and nurses and people in hospital rooms about Jesus in the midst of all this. And so who knows what his big plan is. But man, he's able. God, heal my heart. I need healing on the inside. And so those of you in that category, man, that's the next step now. You have a Savior who loves you and is powerful enough to heal. You have a Savior who's going to raise you one day when you die. But you also have a Savior who loves to raise dead things back to life here and now. And so what dead thing in you, your marriage, your vision, what might it be that God would want to raise back to life here and now? He loves to lead us. Some of you guys need leading. And so bring in those decisions to him. God, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I can't see what's going to happen before it happens. You can. Would you lead me? Some of us in the room saying, okay, maybe today's the day I ask Jesus to save me, to wipe out my sin, to remove, not just sort of muddy it up, not just sort of remove that little first layer of haze of sin in my life. No, cleanse me completely from the sin in my life. Maybe today you'd say, I can't do that myself. And the eyewitness, the guy who died for his faith, said, I saw Jesus alive. He's trustworthy. And maybe some of you in the room just need that refreshing Enough trying to throw money and success and stuff at this, this soul that needs so much more than that. I need Jesus to refresh me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to put your trust in him today. We're not going to pressure you into that. But if you're seeing a Savior that you believe is trustworthy, if you're seeing a hope in God that maybe you've never seen before, then we'd love for you to put your trust in him today. I'm going to kind of lead you in a prayer in a minute. And it's not a magical prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But this is a way for you to begin a relationship and a conversation with God. I talk with God like I talk with you. I talk with God like I talk with my friends and my wife. It's a relationship. And I want to give you a minute just to sort of respond. But if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're not, I hope today you're hearing loud and clear that Jesus has the power to heal, raise, lead, save, and refresh us. Let's pray. God, what a day of celebration. What awesome things you've done for us, God. We can't thank you enough for the God that you are to us and the way that you move in our lives is just incredible. And God, we literally have nothing to offer you but our filthy rags, but we thank you that you love us anyway. Thank you that you have the power and the love to save us and transform our lives. So let's just take a minute. If you need healing today, would you pray about that? Take 30 seconds now. Don't be the guy in the picture. Ask God to come through for you. You need something raised back from the dead? God, raise my marriage back to life. God, raise that vision back to life. Let's pray about that.
thank you, you have the power to lead me. Thank you, you know what's gonna happen before it happens. 1,500 years before Jesus comes, you're already saying a Savior's coming, a Savior's coming. So God, I think you can handle next week for me. Would you pray about that? God, what, what do you have for me? Pray about those specific things you need leading in. today you need saving would you just ask Jesus to be your savior maybe now you can pray something like this Jesus I'm so thankful for your love I'm so grateful that you got on the cross in my place it should have been me dying for my sin but you died instead you rose back from the dead God thank you for your power and love forgive me for my sin show me how real you are God transform my life refreshing today. Your soul is just tired. It's beaten. It's worn down. Maybe you could just pray about that. God, I thank you so much that you are scared of nothing. You're afraid of nothing. Nothing intimidates you. None of our issues here today, none of our sin, none of the ugliness of the choices we've made, none of the doubt we might have, none of the situations we're going through that are way bigger than us. I thank you, God, that as we're about to sing, you make the darkness tremble, God. There's nothing you are afraid of. So we celebrate our risen Savior today and give you praise. Thank you for all you've done in your name.